Hi, this is David from the Much Love Family. The recording of my recovery was so good, we decided to make it into two episodes. This is the first part. I hope you enjoy. Much love. Welcome, welcome. This is my recovery, part of the Much Love family. My name is David, and I'm an addict. Today's episode is a special one. We have a wonderful man that gives tirelessly to our recovery community and has wholeheartedly dedicated himself to this process of recovery. A fellow native of Tampa, my brother, Jeremy. Let's listen to his story, his experience, strength, and insight into recovery. Go ahead, man. Thank you, David. And as you heard, I'm an addict. My name is Jeremy, also from Tampa, Florida, born and raised. And um, uh, without getting into my story just yet, I got to say I'm a little choked up just by the introduction. Um, I, I think you nailed it on the head with with my passion for recovery programs and and for the 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 level of service that that I, I value in in this recovery process. And um, I, I appreciate that someone recognizes it. it I don't do these things for notoriety. I don't do them to become popular. Um, what do they say? You can't be famous in an anonymous program. But again, to, to be noticed and be thanked is, is, is just one of the things. It's, it's one of my love languages, if you will. And that's another topic for another day, right? But um, no, I'm an addict. My name is Jeremy. I'm from Tampa. Um, my, my clean date is January 24th, 2009. Um, you know, I, I was born and raised here in Tampa. I got clean at 26. and um, Getting there was a long, hard process. Uh, we talk about the disease of addiction being a, a progressive, incurable, fatal disease, and um, for me, it was it was pretty progressive. You know, I, I grew up in Tampa. I didn't have. I grew up pretty poor. You know, went hopping from trailer park to trailer park. Um, basically, my dad following work. He you know he he worked with the trailer park owner. He was a maintenance man, and so it, it was. Um, I guess it was a life of convenience as far as he was living where he was working. I believe they got like deals on on rent or maybe they're able to, you know, get free rent if as long as he was working for them. I, I don't know, but I was never too thrilled about my, my childhood. And, uh, but my parents did well by me. I mean, I, I never went without, you know, if I wanted, you know, we had food, I had a roof over my head, you know, I had a decent education, you know, albeit through public school. Um, Although I did learn at an early age that like my mom was was a using addict, you know there was booze in the house. Um, I knew when they had friends come over and they'd send me to the room and I'd smell something funny. I knew they were doing something. Um, later, find out it was pot, you know. But um, you know, I, so so I had some of these lessons early on that that kind of made me who I was as an adolescent. And so I actually grew up in in a church, and so we had some really positive influences. I was going to church regularly. I'm not, a, I'm not the biggest guy, but like I'd get bullied a lot. And so like I got into martial arts to learn how to defend myself. And and if you don't know much about the martial arts, like it's very rigid, very disciplined. And so it, it helped with a lot of my behavior. I was a, a good student in school and I had like a lot of these positive influences. Like my dad was a deacon at the church. Um, I was doing some level of service. Like I would like like the candles or I'd give the the initial um, sermon reading, whatever the topic for the day would be. I, I'd do that, that reading with the congregation. 
And then even in the martial arts, I excelled so well there that I ended up becoming an assistant instructor. And so like early on, like service was a big part of, of who I was as a person. And um, so like we had all these good positive influences and, and on around the age of 14 or 15, I might've dabbled. Like I think one of my my neighbor kids had said, hey, I got a joint, you wanna go smoke? I was like, yeah, sure, why not, whatever. And so, you know, tried it once or twice and didn't really get into it. Had a couple drinks here and there, didn't really get into it. Um, you know, I can remember hitting my dad's stash of Jack Daniels and then wanting to water it down. And, and then he'd come back and like, why is my Jack Daniels frozen? Like, Cause you'd leave it in the freezer, dad. <laughs> Not knowing that alcohol doesn't freeze, right? Being a, a silly teenager, right? But, um, so long story short, man, we had had some falling out with the church and, um, I actually had suffered an injury. I was basically doing MMA before it was called MMA. I was taking two different styles of karate. I was taking jujitsu. I was taking Muay Thai. I was, I was doing all this different cross training stuff. And um, I ended up blowing out my knee, both my knees. I had my, I, I hyperextended my left knee and then shortly after hyperextended my right knee and then my left knee again, like just really rapid succession. And um, it got to the point where like, I, I couldn't even throw a kick. I couldn't do anything without being in excruciating pain. And, um, and I just like, I think it was right after I'd, a few months, maybe after I'd gotten my black belt status and, um, it, it was devastating. Like that, that was my life. Um, you know, I, I took even that to the extreme where I was, I wouldn't just take my two classes that required a week. I would take every class I could every time the, the, the dojo was open. I can like say I was an assistant instructor. Um, you know, I was competing at least once a month. And again, I told you we grew up poor, but like my parents made this happen, right? They made it where... I would compete. I mean, I was traveling not just local tournaments. I'm going state and regional tournaments. Um, I flew to Fort Wayne, Indiana for a, 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 like a three-day seminar. I went with my instructor and um, saw all the grandmasters of, of my my art. Like I even like got in, got books and, and I was reading into the history. Like I went, traced my, the, the roots of my study all the way back to the first grandmaster of, of the, that, the specific branch of karate. And um, that's just the level of, of dedication I put into to what I was doing at the time. And um, so then all that stuff goes away. All the positive influences had went away. And just like that, like a vacuum, we talk about a vacuum in, 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 the, in the rooms of recovery where, you know, we have a void that needs to be filled. And so that void was instantly filled with those things I'd previously dabbled in. I started smoking cigarettes. I started smoking weed. I started... Um, drinking a lot to, you know, it's like at the age of 15, I was arrested New Year's Eve trying to sell an ounce of pot. So I, early on, I get a felony arrest. And so about five months later, I get another arrest. I hadn't even gone to court for this first charge yet. So I go to court and uh, right before that, I'd gotten another arrest like May that following year for possession of a concealed weapon on school property because I had carried a pocket knife on school. So I got kicked out of school for a year and um, went to court and uh, they they sent me to a juvenile drug court program and did some outpatient rehabilitation. And that was my first introduction to any kind of 12-step program. And so, uh, of course, I didn't want to stop using it. And if I'm being completely honest, the only thing I did at that time was stop smoking weed long enough to pass a drug test. That was my first introduction into stuff like cocaine or LSD or ecstasy. And um, looking back on it, 
what I learned at that time was that the counselor I had for, for this rehabilitation had told us, oh yeah, you can't test for LSD in urine. Like, what the hell do you think I did? Like, I, I, I don't know how I managed, how I pulled this off, but I went to treatment at least a couple of times, high on LSD, thinking I'm gonna get away with it. And somehow I did, I passed it and those charges were dropped. And, um, but it was a lot about the education. Like I can remember we had a, uh, we did a Jeopardy themed game show, if you will, about all the different classifications of drugs, you know, barbiturates and uppers and downers and this and that and stimulants and inhalants and uh, hallucinogenics. And like, I, I aced the damn thing. Like every question I was like, I'm raising my hand. Like, I know the answer. I know the answer. Like, again, kind of the same way I did with like the the history of my martial arts. I, I, I knew everything there was to know about drugs at that time. It, it was all about education of the drugs. I don't feel like there was enough emphasis on the recovery aspect. Again, we're talking, this is, shoot, 97, 98. Um, of course, recovery programs have been around for a couple decades at this time, but I don't know that, that as a teenager, as a juvenile program, that they were really enforcing it on us so much. It was, again, and to a degree, I could see where they're coming from, from a clinical standpoint. They want to educate us about the dangers of what we're doing. But, um, so again, introduced to uh the rooms of you know 12-step programs and then it's actually funny the day i graduated from that program i got this cool shirt said drug free and proud i got a matching hat that said drug free and proud and what do i do i go right to my buddy's house and that was actually the first time i'd done cocaine like hey you want to try this like yeah sure why not you know and um didn't touch it for a while after that but yeah that was my first time i'd, I'd done cocaine at like 16 and um Ironically enough, about this time I was kicked out of school and um, one of the women that I was training in martial arts with had owned an electrical shop. We actually got our black belt the same day. Her and I were training and she had owned an electrical company. And so my dad worked for her and I was kicked out of school. So I, that's where I got how I got into the industry and started wiring houses locally and then did that for about a year. But like, again, I'm living at home with mom and dad. I got no bills to pay. I'm making three, 400 bucks a week, whatever it was. But I, no bills, all my money went right to dope, right? And, um, but again, like I said, I also grew up poor. So like I wanted the nice things because I didn't have it. So like, I, that's when I started getting into nicer clothes, nicer shoes so I can look good. So I didn't look like I lived in a trailer, right? Because I didn't like who I was, man. I didn't want to bring girls to the house just because why? And um, and again, at this point, mom and dad obviously knew I was getting into drugs and I learned at an early age that a high mom is a happy mom and I can get away with whatever I wanted to. You know, so I grew up in like the North Tampa area, not the, not the best part of town. And so I was able to actually, as long as I kept mom high, I was a black belt in karate. She wouldn't care about me running in the street. She knew I could defend myself. It's like mom had some dope. I became her best dealer and I can go do whatever the hell I wanted to do. Like I, I, I was so manipulative that I even had a 19 year old girlfriend move in with me when I was 16. Like and they allowed it to happen. I, I don't, I can't make this stuff up. I don't know how, how the hell that happened. But so long story short, man, I actually... That company I worked for for that first year in high school, where I was kicked out of high school, rather, they folded and I went to work, or actually I went back to school. I had to jump through some hoops. I, like my parents didn't even do this for me. I called the school board and I had arranged a meeting for my father and I to go to the school board and petition for me to get back into school. I ended up having to go to summer school the year before I went to school to get the extra credits I needed because I missed a whole semester basically. And I had to go to a different school where instead of getting six credits a year, I got eight credits a year. And I had to do on-job training in order to get that extra credit and I had to do all that and I had to do it perfectly. I, I couldn't miss one class. I couldn't fail one class or I wouldn't have graduated the year I did. So I was supposed to graduate 
from one school in the year 2000 and then actually graduated a different school 2001. But I went to school and I graduated. And um, ironically enough, that that year is the year I met my wife. We were in the same home room, homeroom, um, we, very similar last name. We both start MC, Mick, Mick. And um, so we're, and another really interesting part about that is we're in the same junior homeroom for the first semester of the year. And then we moved into the senior class, the second semester, and same thing, same homeroom. So it was kind of cool, man. And, and her and I have been together ever since all these years later. We're actually going to celebrate this year. It'll be 19 years married. So um, 23 years we've been together. But um, that didn't stop me, man. Like I was still, like I say, since I got out of trouble, I was getting back into dope. I was 18 years old my entire senior year of high school. And um, gotten into trouble over and over again with, with you know, a little bit of nickel, dat, nickel bag, dime bag here and there. Did another couple of probations, did another couple nights in jail, that sort of stuff. I had to go do another outpatient rehab. I think this was only like six months or something for a misdemeanor. Um, well, then, so we graduated high school. And funny story, my last day of high school was a Monday. And then that very next day, that Tuesday, I started working for another contractor. That was actually right around the corner from where I lived. The foreman that I worked for at the first company was now a foreman at this company. And so I, he's like, hey, you should come work with us. I'm like, yeah, I graduate in May and I'll, I'll come do that. And so, like I said, I had all this set up like months before I graduated, did my interview and all that. And um, I think having a year of experience definitely helped get my foot in the door. But see, I started work on Tuesday. I worked Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and I took Friday off to go to my, my high school graduation. Like, it was just a really, really strange situation. Um, and again, all these lessons I, I've learned even throughout, like I learned in recovery anyway, some of these things that some of these experiences have, have helped mold me to who I am today. And uh, there's some lessons even there, even though I wasn't living right back then, there's still lessons to be made from, from even some of those mistakes I had made. And so, um, yeah, like I said, I get a few more charges for weed here and there. Um, but 2006, I ended up catching another felony. I got arrested for grand theft. So I, I was heavy into Coke at this point. I'd quit doing the, the S the acid and the ecstasy. I was, was basically weed, Coke and booze. That was my three biggies. And then um, if you were to offer me a pill, I probably wouldn't turn it down either, you know. Um, and again, I think it's important to identify some of the substances I've done and some that I've not done. I've never done heroin. I've never done crack. I've never done meth. Not that I'm any better or any worse than anybody who's done anything different. It just wasn't my my thing, right? I was an upper guy. And so I was really heavy into that stuff. And if you ever done Coke or know anybody who's done Coke, that shit ain't cheap. And, and back at the time, like, copper was going for like four bucks a pound and so like i bought a lot of coke with my scrap copper and so company found out fired a bunch of people i was one of them they fired me and had me arrested um and i do want to do a sidebar here and fast forward that same company that fired me and arrested me in 2006 i'm now a manager for today all these years later and i say that because results are going to vary when we work this program of recovery but that's my results as a result of the work I put in into what I'm doing for myself and, and staying clean one day at a time and, and just putting in the work, you know, that that's what, that's what happened for me. And so anything is possible. We have a saying in the rooms that old possibilities reawaken and new possibilities arise. And, and so it's anything, the sky's the limit when we get clean, man. And, and so that's, that's my story. And I hope that gives someone else a hope shot that like you can, you can lose everything and, and you can bounce back. But you can't bounce back if, if 
you're still chasing that next high. So, so I, I do that. I, I get arrested for that and um, did about a year back and forth of extensions and all this and trying to take a, you know, get them to drop the charges because whatever, there's, there's some legal stuff back and forth about, you know, were we really stealing or not? And long story short, we ended up taking a plea ar arrangement for um, petty theft. And we had to do a year probation, pay $1,000 restitution, whatever. And then so this day sucked. So the day we took the plea agreement, I had my co-defendant with me. I picked him up. Me and my wife had one car, 2002 Grand Prix Pontiac, supercharged, awesome car. Missed that car. But um, so I picked him up. We drove down to the courthouse. We go, we take our plea agreement. And then they said, okay, you got like 48 hours or whatever it is to go to the probation office and enroll. So we're like, well, let's just walk we're right here. So we go do that. I was the first one to go in and they said, hey, do you have any other warrants we need to know about? As they're taking my fingerprints, taking my picture and all that. I said, no, I don't have any other warrants. They said, well, actually you do. You have a warrant. And this was in Hillsborough County at first. They said, well, you have a warrant in Pasco County for dealing in stolen property. So we got arrested right there. Both he and I, my co-defendant and I. I had one set of keys to the car. I had the car. We had the one car. And I was going to jail with that stuff. And so I get to jail and I had to automatically sign over all my 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 belongings to my wife so she can come that night, pick up the stuff, get the car. So she we go through all that. She gets the keys and goes to get the car. I got a freaking parking ticket that I parked on the line. I'm like, bro. Um, long story short, though, that uh, that dealing in stolen property ended up getting dropped as a double jeopardy. But there again, that was another felony. That was a $15,000 bond. I was like, you got to be kidding me, man. Like DUIs are cheaper of a bond than that. I was like, come on, man. But whatever, it is what it is. And then so I, same thing. I, I just didn't smoke weed long enough to pass a drug test. But even back then, like I remember being on probation then, I'd smoked weed like maybe a week before a drug test and I passed. And um Again, I was a skinny guy. I'm working outside. I'm sweating all the time. I'm drinking a lot of water. I'm sure that had something to do with it, you know. But um, again, I'm, I'm no chemist. I'm no biologist. I don't know how all that works. I've just heard stories and rumors. And somehow, miraculously, I passed. And so we call that that false courage. Or, or you may hear it when you're drinking, you know, the liquid courage, right? Like that gave me a false sense of courage. Like, well, screw it. I, I did not stop smoking after that. I was like, I'm just going to keep smoking, keep doing my blow, keep doing whatever I did. And at least you didn't know I was doing any of this. And then about 2008, like everything kind of fell apart with the market here. Um, I couldn't wire houses. Nothing was being built. And um, that was like a really, really rapid year. From 2008 to 2009, everything went down really fast. Like I'm going to the bar every night. I'm slinging pizza. It's the only job I can get. Um, and, and like as soon as I went to work, I re-upped. Like I, I'd get everybody's order. I'd go around the corner to the dope house, get everybody's order. I'm taking a little bit from that bag, a little bit from that bag. And it's all my bag now. And um, I didn't care, like, if I didn't have no money that night, I was getting high. It, you know, I, I, they always give you what they call the bank every night when you come in. They give you like 20, 30 bucks, whatever it is, to be able to make change to customers who bought pizza. Before I even take my first run out, I'm going with that bank and it's going right to the dope house. Like, it didn't matter. And so, um, like, you, they weren't getting change. <laughs> so it, it was really, really rapid. Like, and it was to the point where like, if I was short on money, I would steal money out of my kid's piggy bank, five, 10 bucks. If I was a couple bucks short on something, it's so like, um, that's just the, the, the depths that I went to, to get the next one. Or, um, you know, we would, we had this deal where we had regular customers come in and we'd just charge them 
back then everything was still handwritten. We'd say, hey, give me five bucks for this pizza. And we wouldn't handwrite it into the, the log that night. We'd be two, $300 over every night. So that, where do you think the money went, right? Or uh, again, I said, we go to the bar every night. I was working six nights a week. I closed every night. You know, so I get off work at 12, 1 o'clock and we go to the bar, we shut the bar down. I'd bring pizzas to the bar every night and we drink for free all night. And I justified that, like, you know, hey, I'm not paying for my booze. I can go buy more of the other stuff I want. It, it was just, it was sick, man. And um, Alicia, my wife, she's like, you know, if you keep doing this, I'm going to leave you. If you keep doing this, I'm going to leave you. And I was like, bullshit, you ain't leaving me. This is empty threats. Because she must have said it a hundred times. So fast forward, January 24th, 2009, my clean date. Same story I just said. I, I was at work slinging pizza. I grab everybody's money. I go place the order, pick up the order. I didn't even get a chance to taste test that night. I was pissed. <laughs> I didn't even get a chance to taste test that night. I was like, I got three pizzas or three orders I got to run. I go and I got pulled over because I ran a stop sign. So I had Coke, weed, and paraphernalia, straws, pipes, all that shit on me. And uh, another felony. And I was in a rental car, of all things. And, and so it was really sad man my wife at that time worked two jobs she was working at a doctor's office during the day and then as a medical assistant and then she was working at hungry howie's with me at night and two of our best friends were all there and we're all there at the same time and so cops called her they allowed her again luckily they allowed her to pick up the rental car allowed her to pick up any money i had on me to go back to the store so i didn't know the store money and uh she thought someone was playing a prank on her saying we found coke and all this because she had no idea and so uh, we have a saying in Narcotics Anonymous, I'm gonna get choked up and, and so just bear with me here. We have a saying in Narcotics Anonymous that you never have to feel that way again. We, we tell that especially to newcomers as they're coming in and, and they're, they're dumping their baggage on us and, and telling us what they're going through. And we tell them you never have to feel this way again. And what that way is, is, is for you to define or for me to define for me. And the way I felt that night, sitting in the back of the cop car, and my wife telling me, I'm leaving you, I'm taking the kid, moving out of state, and you're never gonna see us again. I um, I knew she had business that, that night. I knew it wasn't an empty threat. And, and I just sobbed, and off to jail I went. And, and so that, for me, that's the way I never wanna feel again. That was my bottom. I should say that is my bottom. Um, saying that was my bottom implies that there may be another bottom. That is my bottom. I never want to feel that way again. The the paradox and the irony of that is that I never want to forget that feeling because that feeling is what keeps me clean all these years later, 14 years later. And so, um, yeah. So fast forward a little bit, I spent like 18 days in jail and like, thank goodness for that because I was able to kick all the dope I was on. I was able to detox. It wasn't easy, but, um, you know, I can remember a phone call I had in jail. I, I called my wife and said, Hey, make sure there's a case of beer for me when I go home. And she's like, Nope, that ain't happening. And of course I get angry, whatever. And so at this time, this is one of the first things I'd seen. The first time I'd seen this in jail was they had these little like computer kiosks and, and a little bit of old school. Cause we're talking 2009, but they had like, resources you can look up and, and again i'm facing another felony charge I'm like there's no way i'm beating another felony i've had too many of them in my life to to beat another one and so one of the resources i was looking up is having my clemency restored you know restoring my rights you know anytime you get a felony um you know being able to restore your right to vote or other rights that you had 
prior to being a convicted felon. And I was like, I'm going to be a convicted felon. Like, I need to look into this. Let me at least know what the steps I need to take when I get out are. And, um, but one of the resources I saw there, it said Narcotics Anonymous on this screen. And, and like a light went off. Like I said, when I was 15, I was introduced to a 12-step program. And I was like, okay, that's what I need to do. So the next phone call I made to my wife after that was, do me a favor and look online and, and find me some Narcotics Anonymous meetings. And there happened to be one a mile from my house. And so that was where I started attending. The day I got out of jail, I came home, changed into some street clothes so I can feel normal. <laughs> and uh, I went to a meeting with a three-year-old daughter in tow. And I've been clean ever since. One of, one of my one of my favorite memories in recovery was about two weeks later on um, February, February 29th. No, I'm sorry, February 27th. It's the day my father passed away. And um, while I was using, I remember as soon as February rolled around, I'm calling my, 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 my using buddies. I'm like, hey, man, we need to get together. I was totally screwed up over losing my dad. And um, I, I didn't want to feel the pain. And, and drugs numbed the pain for many years. Well, something I'd heard coming into the rooms was do something different. And so for me, that something different was rather than planning to get high to commemorate my dad, I said, you know what? Let me go to a meeting. So my clean date being January 24th, my 30 days would have been February 24th. I waited three extra days to pick up my 30-day key tag to celebrate it on the day of his death. And um, it's actually the only day, only meeting my wife ever attended with me. And so it was really really special meeting for me. And, and even all these years later, every time someone celebrates 30 days, I think back to that day and how I felt at 30 days and it keeps it fresh for me. And i um, grateful that I got to experience that clean. And so talk about working steps in Narcotics Anonymous or any 12-step program for that matter. And um, so I got involved in service. I got involved with, you know, eventually facilitating meetings. I got involved with just doing handy stuff around. Like I say, I'm, I'm, I'm handy with my hands. I'm in construction. And so, you know, if the lights went out, I'd fix the lights. Or um, we used to have a tarp out on the side of the building that we would go smoke at. Well, we in Florida, it's sunny. Tarps rot. So twice a year, I'm out there replacing this tarp and doing something to stay involved and stay connected. And it worked, man. And, um, you know, we, we have another saying, you know, service work keeps you clean. And so that's how I do this. I, I just serve. You know, whether it's doing things with my hands or whether it's facilitating a meeting or whether it's working with someone, you know, working the steps of somebody else, bringing them up to speed, you know, working with newcomers or, or serving at a higher um, level in like the area or region or world levels of, of, of some of the service work we have available, um, whatever it may be, I, I try to find ways of being of service and, and it, it works, you know, um, it could be as simple as like, hey, come in and, and you know, make coffee before the meeting, come in and, and sweep and mop the floors before or after the meeting, you know, set the chairs up, whatever it may be, facilitate a, a fun activity. Hey, it could be something as simple as like, we're having a picnic. Can you go man the grill? Like I'm literally doing something besides getting dope. So like it, it just works. There's no secret formula to it. Like if you, if you do service work, you're going to stay clean. We can promise you that. And um, so like, I, I took me about two years to work through all 12 steps. And again, my wife was still very skeptical, you know, and, and so something, one of, one of our pieces of literature we have says, you know, 
we can't get clean for anybody but for ourselves. We can't do this for the judge. We can't do this for the PO. We can't do this for the family, for the friends, for the career, nothing. We have to get clean for ourselves. I'd be a liar if I said I didn't do this to try and hope to uh, keep my wife and my kids on my side, you know. But um, I can remember going to meetings and said, listen, man, my life's in shambles. My wife's probably going to leave me. Like I had committed that she was going to leave me. But I said, we talk about reservations. We have, and I'm not talking dinner reservations. I'm talking reservations to using, right? Like, oh, if my dog dies, I'm going to use. If my mom dies, like those are the reservations we talk about. And so I said, even if my wife leaves me, I'm not going to use. I'm tired of living the way I'm living. And so I bought into that concept of I have to do this for me, even though still I hoped they would stick around. And um, eventually they did. And so, again, I could see my wife's skepticism. You know, I was going to a meeting a day. She was worried I was going to find some hot young thing in the rooms that would identify and relate to me. And I'd run off with her. So she was scared about that. Or again, my track record showed I could stay clean long enough to get out of trouble. Right. So things really got better for me around year two because I'd worked all 12 steps. I had done another year of probation. My felony arrest was dropped again. So I'm not a convicted felon thanks to, uh, you know, the state of Florida and, and, and what the programs that they have now. You know, the last couple of times I had went through treatment, it was more preventative and less educative. Um, you know, my, my last counselor I had, she wanted me to give something like this and give her my story and, and so at the end of it, she had asked me, well, what do you want to do? What do you want to work on? I said, no, no, no. I just told you how I manipulated my previous counselors and previous people, manipulated my mother. I said, I'm not doing that here. The reason I, I was very open and honest with you, Miss Counselor, about what I did is because I have a sponsor in recovery that I tell these things to, and he tells me what to work on. I'm working with you on the clinical side of things and what you think. You have a degree that my sponsor doesn't have. I want your input, so I'm telling you. You tell me what you think I need to work on based off what I just told you because I, I don't. I want to do this right. And, and so it, it was good for that first year, and, and I was scared. I was scared to get off probation. I was scared to get off papers. I was scared to get out of treatment because that had been my story. I'd do it for nine months to a year, and then I'm right back where I was before I started. And I was afraid to lose that accountability. And um, that was the first time I was afraid of getting off probation. It sounds really crazy. You think you'd be excited. Like, yeah, I'm getting home. I'm getting out of this stuff, right? Like, no, I was scared. The difference was this time I was going to meetings. I was talking about it. I was talking about the fear I had. And that's a good, healthy fear to have, they told me. That means you're doing something different. That means you don't want to use. If you didn't have that fear, I might be concerned, you know? And so uh, go to the year two and I had, you know, stayed clean on my own. I wasn't made to go and sign a paper. Judge wasn't telling me to go. PO wasn't telling me to go. I was still going to meetings and I'm talking a meeting a day. My three, four-year-old daughter went with me to every meeting because I was still working nights. She was working days. We still only had the one vehicle. And so like I'm a mile away from where my meeting place was. And so every day I had a three-year-old, four-year-old daughter in tow because I was told get to a meeting no matter what I was told that meeting makers make it, you know? And, and so that's what I did. And, um, it, it's worked all these years later. Um, and I'm here to tell you that like, I didn't have to make a geographic change. I didn't have to change my career at the time. I didn't have to do anything in order to stay clean. We talk about a gift of desperation, desperation. I was desperate to stay clean by any means necessary. I was going to do whatever the hell you told me to do. If it meant I can get one more day clean. 
when I was feeling froggy, when I had a trigger, and I don't think we talk about that enough in the rooms of, of recovery, where what triggers you, what makes you want to go use, right? For me, it was driving past my old stomping grounds and seeing that they had an open bar from like two to five and it's only 20 bucks. I was like, dude, I can only 20 bucks. I can drink a lot in three hours. And that means I can spend more money. Like that just, that thought triggered all these other random obsession thoughts that we have. And we talk about that being one of the core aspects of the disease of addiction is that obsession and compulsion, obsessing on that idea that I got to get one more. And so those, those things would trigger that. And so I'd call someone and again, because I'm driving around, I was still delivering pizza. I'm driving around going to some of the same places. I've had people, Hey, you want to take a bong rip while you're here? I'm like, nah, man, I'm good. Thank you. Hey man, you want to take a roadie? You want a beer for the road? I'm like, no man, I'm good. And, um, you know, again, calling people during that time to make sure I get through it and get one more day clean. And, and, and see, I'm really passionate about this one particular meeting we have, and, and it's a 10 p.m. meeting. And because I worked nights every night and I delivered in the same area where I was going to meetings at, I would actually stop in for my break. If I was delivering by the meeting place and there's a 10 p.m. meeting, I would stop in and hear a share or two and I'd go back to work. And I think that's why all these years later, I'm so passionate about trying to revive that meeting that we had all these years and um, why I still am dedicated to, to facilitate that meeting. Now, um, it's a shame that we're not getting the attendance like we used to, but that's another story for another day. Um, but yeah, that, that's how I got through it in those early years, you know, where we'd have marathon meetings like for the holidays, like Thanksgiving was a big one. We'd have a 72 hour event around the clock. People are there and like, I'd always stop in. Even I'd be working those holidays, but I'd still stop in and, and take my breaks there, help bring extra pizza, like bring food to, to serve the people, man. Um, yeah, it was about two years when things really got good with me and my wife. Because again, she could see the proof. I've been doing this for a year, still not getting high, still going to meetings. I still don't think she liked the frequency in which I was going to meetings, but it was working. Why change it? And so, um, you know, about... Year three, things had gotten better in the market. The economy was getting better. I was I actually went back to that employer that fired me in 2006. They gave me another chance. And because um, again, I'm a licensed electrician, I wanted to be able to use my license and, and I enjoy wiring houses. I enjoy my, my field of study. And so went back to work there and things were good. And, you know, we had our second child. I was able to work 10 hours a day, get all the overtime I wanted. And um, I almost got high and things were going good. Marriage was good. Career was good. Family was good. I was, but we talk about being complacent in the rooms. And so what had happened was I was making meetings regularly. By regularly, I mean, I would make one meeting every two weeks. I wouldn't call my sponsor. And, and what a sponsor is, is a person who walks me, guides me through the 12 steps, whatever program, whatever fellowship I, I'm a part of. Um, but they guide me through the steps. That's what a sponsor is. I wasn't calling my sponsor. If he called me, I wasn't answering. I wasn't going to any events, nothing. I wasn't doing anything for my recovery. I wasn't reading. And um, funny story, like I found a joint at work one day and I thought my buddy was messing with me. I thought he was pr playing a prank because he knew I was clean. He knew I was I was in recovery. I thought he like maybe either took some sawdust and put it in a cigarette wrapper or, or like wrinkled up a, a cigarette to make it look like a joint. And, and I'm an addict. And I have addict tendencies. And so I went and I found this joint 
and I tore just maybe like a quarter inch of it off, like just a little tip because I wanted to inspect it. I didn't want to destroy the whole thing. It was a real joint, right? So I tear just a tip off and I see it's green. I was like, dude, hey, come here. Come look at this. And uh, he ended up lighting it up and making the house stink like pot. And I'm like, man, now I'm really feeling it. Really feeling it. And he didn't smoke it. He just put flame to it, to put flame to it for whatever reason. And so we dropped the joint down a pipe because I, I was really triggered at this point. So we dropped the joint down a pipe and I go back. I was actually running a drill, drilling holes through the wall so I could run wire. And not five minutes later, I'm like, dude, I know the plumbers have already been here. That pipe is filled with water so they can do a pressure test. And I know that water is about two to three inches below the top of that pipe. I can stick my pliers down in there, grab that pipe or that, that joint. I can put it on that window on that side of the house. And by the end of the day, it's dry and I'm getting high. Like not five minutes after we dropped it on the pipe, this is what I was thinking. And so I was like, you know what? I've, I had to go. I grabbed it. I destroyed it. I called my sponsor and, and I went right to a meeting that night and I've not looked back since. And I've, I've recommitted to my recovery ever since that point. And um, so we talk about being vigilant and that, that was me not being vigilant. And uh, I got really lucky that day because we say, if you don't pick it up, you can't get high. Well, I picked it up. <laughs> I picked it up. It was in my hand. There was flame to this thing. I was one decision away from losing everything all over again. Because I promise you, I wouldn't have just stopped at that one joint. I'm done. I'm going down the road. I'm getting the bottle on the way home. I'm calling some of my old using buddies if I didn't already delete their numbers. like I, Not that that matters. I'd find you using buddies. It don't matter, right? But that one joint wasn't going to be the end of it for me. It never is. One is too many. And a thousand is never enough. And so, like the last thing I really want to touch on is some of the some of the things I've gone through in recovery, and some of the things, the highs and the lows in recovery. Right. So, like, I got fired from that first job delivering pizza. I got fired at a year clean, but I was able to turn that into a positive. And like, it was as I was celebrating my first year in recovery, and so I was going to different meetings I didn't get to normally go to to celebrate my first year clean. You know, then a grandmother passed away. Um, that was tough. I came to the realization I was a shitty grandson. Didn't call her, didn't send her Christmas cards, didn't show her pictures of the grandbabies, nothing. And uh, I had to give a eulogy too. Like, what do I say? I haven't talked to this woman in years, you know? So it, it was a really rough situation, but I got through it clean. Um, I dealt with some daddy issues. Um, long story short, the man who raised me is not my biological father. And it brought up some stuff that I had forgotten about from using. I remember... At 15, I asked him if he was really my dad because we don't look alike. We have nothing in common. I get it was probably just me being a rebellious teenager, but those feelings were still real. And, um, you know, my wife and I were looking at Facebook one day and we saw some pictures of her, his other children. And he's like, my wife's like, man, I can really see your dad and your sisters. And like a floodgate opened and all those memories and all those thoughts came back about my dad not being my dad. And, and I had to go through that. And I got through that clean. You know, or like I still have some resentment issues with my mom. I have a brother who's 20 years younger than me. He's 20 right now, maybe 21. I think he just turned 21. I got a brother 20 years younger than me with Down syndrome, and it's a product of infidelity on behalf of my mother. And so I have some real resentment issues there, and I get through those clean. Like, I don't like the man she's with. She's still with the same guy. I remember shortly after my dad had passed away, we went up to go see her. And this is when I was using, and I beat on the trail. I'm like, you get your ass out of here. I'm going to kill you. And like, it was, it was bad. Like, I mean, it was like a month after my dad passed and all this had happened. And so that, that formed how I, how I processed a lot of this stuff. And, and so 
recovery and the principles in recovery have allowed me to forgive her. And you know what? Me forgiving her isn't about her, right? She could care less if I forgive her or not. The forgiveness is for me, so I don't have to live with that stuff, right? I have to forgive her so I don't have to carry that stuff. I don't want to carry that burden. So I've, I've gone through that, you know, lost of loved ones, um, lost pets. Remember a few years ago, we lost two dogs nine years or nine, nine weeks apart. And that was really tough, man. One was sudden and one was planned. It, you know, it was the end of life for one of the dogs. And it was really tough, man, you know, to deal with that with the family and the kids and having to say goodbye to, to lifelong pets. Um, ironically enough, those two dogs were like our children because my wife and I, when we moved in, we got a dog and then a year later, we were pregnant with our first child. Then we get our second dog and like a month later, we're pregnant with our second child. So it's like those dogs were the mirrors of our children in a way, right? So so there was a special connection with those dogs and with our children. And, and so it, it was tough to go through those losses, but I did it clean. You know, and the beauty of this program is that the longer you stick around, we, don't, we can't tell you when, but you'll, you'll come a day where you lose the desire to use and you won't even know when it happens. You're just, dude, I don't want to use. Like, it's, it's just like a strike a lightning one day, some days. And um, it, it's a beautiful feeling to like go through these things and not want to use, you know, but I also like talking about the successes of recovery. I've already talked about one with my career. I'm, I'm with a company now. I'm actually on my third employment with them. Um, I actually worked for them from 2001 to 2006 when they fired me for stealing copper. Came back from 2011 to 2014 and actually left them I resigned my position with that company to go start up a new company. They were actually based out of South Florida. They were opening a branch up in Tampa. So I left them to go start up their competition and worked for there for two years. And then they called me back. So they didn't have to call me back the second time either, but uh, they called me back and asked me what it would take to come back. And I, I've been back ever since. So yeah, like you, you leave me to go, be my competition. I don't want nothing to do with you. That's the way I would think, right? And and no, um, this man is very humble, very generous, and gave me another opportunity to work with him, and it's and it's worked out. So that's one of the successes. And again, I don't know about anybody else, but like I didn't need a reason to use. I wanted to use to feel better. Really, at the end of the day, if I had a shitty day, I wanted to use because it would make me feel better. If I had a just average so-so day, no, no highs, no lows, I wanted to get high and I wanted to feel better. And if I got the job, if I got the girl, if I got the car, if I got the thing, I wanted to celebrate and I would celebrate with drugs. So I think it's equally important to say, listen, man, I bought my first house clean and didn't have a, a drug using house party to celebrate, right? I got the career and I didn't celebrate with drugs. I, I, I probably celebrated with a, with a steak dinner and I think it shows elsewhere now, right? You know, belly's growing because of how I choose to celebrate these days, you know? Um, so, I mean, that's it, man. Recovery is a beautiful process. Um, it, it's about, it, it's it's progressive as long as you stay in the process. We talk about if, you, if you're not staying in the process, you're going to regress. And, and again, I saw that happen to me personally at three years clean and now at 14 years clean, I, I go through things. Just last year, my teenage daughter came home high on pot. That was devastating. The same girl that went to every meeting with me for two years. And um, I'm very open and honest with this girl. And um, I told her she's the reason why I got clean. And, and again, these feelings just well up in me as I talk about it. But I had to come to some acceptance about that. That's one of the principles we, we try to practice in the rooms of, of, of recovery. And so I had to come to some acceptance with where she's at with that. And she's a good kid. Or, or 
found out my my 11 year old this happened just yesterday we found out my 11 year old over the last six months has spent 500 on my credit card on like online video games and so the growth that I've experienced is that I was angry. I was so angry yesterday. But I sat down with her mother, my wife, and I said, let's find a, a punishment that fits the crime. Because, yeah, that was criminal, bro. That's criminal. <laughs> That's a criminal level of, of spending. But um, so I was angry. And, like, for me to not act out on the anger, but, like, I was like, well, this is how normal people process these things, Right. And um, it, it was great. And and so she's going to pay us back every bit of that money, whether it's through money. And she actually ended up bringing me some cash yesterday. She's like, hey, I had 15 bucks in the in the room. I was like, there you go. Perfect. You're working on your debt. Good. The other way is through sweat. You can sweat it out. So I had her help me with the floors today. She helped me mop. I, I swept, she mopped. And so she's working off her debt and she's being responsible about it. And, and that's growth for me. And, and that means I'm also instilling some of these principles in my children without them having to go to recovery to get the, the lessons I had to learn. So I don't know, man, I definitely appreciate this opportunity. I'm passionate about getting clean, staying clean and helping others get there too. So with that, I want to thank you for your time and, and thank you for this opportunity.